0: Searching for venues to play can be a daunting task. Putting together a cohesive, efficient tour sometimes even harder then finding the right media outlets to review and play your music and promote your gigs can be overwhelming. That is why I'm so excited to be speaking with David Wimble during this episode of Get Great Gigs podcast. You may be familiar with him as the creator of the Indie Bible and a few other directories that have been helping artists book and promote their gigs throughout the U.S., Canada, and now the world. So get ready for my interview with David Wimble.
1: Get Great Gigs. Welcome to the Get Great Gigs podcast, where musicians and performing artists discover how to book more gigs for more money with less hassle. Get ready to learn from the booking agent and artist manager who literally wrote the book on booking. Here's your host, Jerry Goldstein.
0: Welcome to Get Great Gigs podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Goldstein. So today I'm pleased to speak with David Wimble, creator of the Indie Bible, the Indie Venue Bible, the Booking Agent Directory, and now I see Indie Bible Spotify. He just keeps on rolling them out. So welcome, David. How are you?
1: Great. Glad to be with you again.
0: Thank you so much for doing this. I remember we had a number of times where we did a webinar and we did or a teleseminar all the way back when we first both were getting started at this whole thing a long time ago. So we've known each other. We've been supporting each other's projects for a very long time. So what prompted you to start the Indie Bible? Was there something in your background that got you interested in this
1: no as is the case with a lot of people in the music business non-artists uh, i started out as an artist i recorded a cd around i think it was 1998 uh, just try to paint a quick picture of the the landscape back then the internet was really new almost brand new so so people were just starting to hop onto it still basically dial up back then and when i recorded my cd i had that flash of reality that all artists get at some point point is that you've handed it out or you've sold it or handed it out to your family and friends and now what do you do? You know, like nobody knows you. No one knows you exist. So I was thinking uh, the job I had, I happened to have access to the internet, which again wasn't something that everybody had back then. It was just because of specific uh, technical reasons. We had a connection at work. So I started poking around and just seeing places maybe on the internet, this new thing that I could uh, send my music to. So one of them was college radio stations, and then original blogs, these free websites like uh, Yahoo, uh, AOL had them, a company called Zoom, X-O-O-M, Homestead. And these were these really ugly websites that all these ads would pop up, but they were free. And so a lot of people said, well, I'm going to go on online and review music. I found a lot of those places where I could send my music to. And then my band broke up. And I lost my job. And, you know, I had a really nice collection of information. The whole time that I was surfing around on the web, I was kind of going, someone must have created a map to this thing because this is just a mess. Because what would happen, of course, especially with the free websites, it's like with today's blogs. Uh, someone just said, I don't want to do this anymore. And so I it just, it just leave it there. Except the thing about today's blogs is they're actually timestamps. So you can look at it and say, okay, this thing's out of date. Back then, you had no idea. So you would... Go to a website where they'd have these reviews posted. There's no date, so maybe they're uh, still around. Maybe they're not. You have to contact them, and so I never did find anything that was kind of like a map to this new internet. And so when I lost my job and I lost my, my band broke up, I said maybe the, maybe there's a little door of, uh, of opportunity here. I think this is something people would value, and so I just went right at it, full full tilt, and I you know it had to be for all genres because if it was if it needed a wide appeal. For me, this is how I was going to survive. So I said, okay, I have to, I have to include everybody in this. And I did it. And uh, my first edition was a spiral-bound photocopied book. And it was re- received really well. So that was it. So I never actually got back into music again. been doing this for over 20 years now.
0: I know. I remember my book came out just about the time that, you, that your first copy of the Indie Bible came out. And yeah, the internet was so new and so unfamiliar to most artists. I remember seeing your first Indie Bible and I went, "Oh my god, there's just like there's no addresses, there's no phone <laughs> numbers. There's only websites." And I was so confused by the by the layout of the whole thing, but of course, it made so much sense over the course of time. And then it evolved. So, so how has the Indie Bible evolved over the course of time for you now?
1: Because it's music business and it's you know, heavily technology-based, I have to make sure that I'm on the cutting edge of what people need. So, for instance, back back when I started, back that first edition, it was just something new popping into the scene called an audio file, an MP3 file. And then they had mp3.com, and, like, everybody would send their music to mp3.com. And there was also something popping up uh, maybe a year or so later, online video, which was just revolutionary. But, of course, you still had really bad internet back then. So it just wasn't practical to, to watch a video. And, and just a, a basic website could take 10 minutes to load. So having a video just wasn't practical. But the technology behind it evolved. So then audio took off, video took off. So my job has always been, uh, you know, we go through the book every year, every, every single uh, listing with uh, making sure it's up to date, all the contact information is up to date but I also have to make sure what is re- relevant. Again, going back 20 years ago, there was this other little thing coming up that confused everybody called MySpace. What is this thing? And so, of course, musicians hopped onto it as a way to, to, to get people to go to their shows and listen to their music. So MySpace was just this giant that just grew and grew. And uh, of course, then it its day came when to list it was almost comical. You know, you get these, like like Netscape was the, used to be the browser. And then right. like we would look at people these days with an AOL address. So, okay, there was a time when, okay, I can't list MySpace anymore because it's just not relevant. Then Facebook kind of took over. And now you can see the same thing happening to Facebook. A lot of people uh, dumped Facebook in 2018. I'm sure it has a lot to do with the uh, security breach. So they're going to IG now and Twitter. So I need up-to-date information, but I also have to kind of keep my eye on what's going on. Of course, the thing now is streaming. So everybody's moving towards streaming now. It's not like earth shattering, but you have to watch these gradual swings in certain directions.
0: But it really does mean that every single year you have to do a major update to all of your resources.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Every year I say to myself, it's not going to be as bad this year as it was last year and we go through and there's just hundreds and hundreds of places that are just fallen by the wayside. It's unbelievable. And the problem is these days is you've got some really amazing websites because people, a lot of people just use templates now. You've got this beautiful website, and here's what we're doing. It's gonna change your life. And you check around and there's no inf- in indication that are they still active? And thankfully, a lot of them have social media links. So what we'll do is we'll check the social media links and if you see the links are really old, you say, okay, these people are gone. You know, one of my pet peeves is 99% of the people that do pack it in, they don't remove their website. They just leave it there it's sitting there. So it's it's very frustrating for me and, and other people too, uh, especially when it looks like this amazing new product and you find out that they're, they've come and gone already.
0: You, you must have a large team or is this just you and a few people doing <laughs> well, all this research? <laughs>
1: No, it's just me and one other guy works part time.
0: Wow. I mean, that's a lot of work because I remember when I was doing the research for all of the resources in my book, it took days and days, months to just update everything and to find out what's still happening and what's not happening. And I certainly wasn't updating the book as often as you were updating Indie Bible. And now there's not just... The Indie Bible, you have multiple directories, so you're busy all the time.
1: Yeah, it's you have to at some point realize that you can't list everything. Not well, you know, the truth is not even close to everything. Right. And you just kind of have to be happy with what you do have listed. It took me a long time to get to that place because every time that somebody would mention a new website that I didn't have listed, I would take it personally. So I'm letting people down. And now there's just so much stuff pouring in. You just do the best you can. So we try to keep each directory up to date, full of information. So when people purchase it, they won't, they won't be disappointed to say, okay, I, this is money w- well spent. The challenge is always, what are the new things that are people uh, attaching to these days? I mean, we have our, our venue directory that, as you know, we created probably 10 or more years ago. I had no idea there were so many venues in North America. So you do the best you can. You take all the major cities and then all the secondary-sized cities. So the amount of information is overwhelming.
0: And so do you have people that are artists phoning in or emailing you, and do you put that out there to your membership to help you research or resource new venues that they might have come upon that you might be interested in, in listing? Do you have that kind of flow back and forth with folks? The only
1: thing that, that has helped at all is we started several years ago, is we have a, a monthly draw for a short sure microphone. So everyone that that sends in an update whether it's a new listing to add or someone that's, that uh, has moved or isn't uh, relevant anymore. We put their, their name in for a draw. I mean, there's a lot of enthusiasts. They'll get in touch, usually because they want to win the microphone. Uh, there's some people that get in touch just as, as an appreciation of what we're trying to do. It's just never flowed, as you say. Right. Everybody's going 5,000 miles an hour. So it's unfortunate. It would make my life a lot easier.
0: The reliability of your research and what you know you're looking for is probably much more dependable because you know what you're looking for, you know where to, where to research, you know how to research, and you know the kinds of things that have been logical to include in any of the directories. So, right. you know, you're much more apt to pick the right stuff to include.
1: Well, for the venue direct, we had a whole team of like 20 people for the initial venue directory. Then after that, I had like one person helping me. I mean, I've always liked the research my whole life. As a kid, I would send off for things, and uh, so it's always something. I th- I think it's kind of magical. You you find stuff, and uh, after a lot of work, and you turn, you, and you find these little nuggets of gold, I call them. But I realize it's not for everyone, and it's barely for anyone actually, but pure, pure research, the real research you have to do for something like this just doesn't appeal to people. You have to be really comfortable in your own skin, and you have to realize that it, it takes a long time. Sometimes you can spend over half an hour just trying to find you know, what country a person's blog is from or something. Not that it matters to anybody, but you just want to have as much information as you can into things. So I was fortunate when I was creating the Spotify directory earlier this year. I have this amazing researcher now that I'm just so happy. Like, I keep telling my wife, like after 20 years, I finally have a researcher. And just under the same wavelength, understands. Because the advantage I have is as a musician, I always see a listening through the eyes of the musician. Is well, something? It's
0: so great for musicians out there to know that yeah. there's somebody working for them, being in their mind and, and understanding what it is that they're looking for and what their frustrations are Exactly from that perspective. Because just like you said before, doing that kind of research, artists who are looking for gigs, for instance, using the Indie Venue Bible, that wealth of information, it's a frustrating Long, hard task, arduous task for them to figure that stuff out. So it's a must have been such a welcome relief to artists who were familiar with the indie bible to go. This is the next logical step. How great is this?
1: Well, the thing about the uh, indie venue bible, it's, it's the same with the indie bible. Since we started the database, just to go back for a sec. So the indie bible, original physical book and then ebook, we would just have sections for punk metal, hip hop, jazz, whatever it was. And some were multiple genres. So we had like kind of a mainstream or for, for multiple genres, or some would be punk metal. So you have to put them in one or the other. So we would put whichever one it was most aimed at. But when we started the database and then the venue directory, we had to get very specific because the venue directory, we created these genre tags because the most frustrating thing I found for an artist was when contacting a venue, do they even play my type of music? Because if you check the, the directories that were around in those days, um, a lot of them would just say all genres, just to take the lazy way out, all genres, which isn't true. So the hardest part of the, the, the Indie Bible database, which has genre tags as well, and then the venue directory, was which genres does, does this venue feature? So most of the time like, finding the venue was fairly easy. The real time consumer was, Okay, let's see what bands have played there, what bands are coming up. Go to those band websites, what kind of music is it? And then put the different genre tags. So maybe it's folk, roots, uh, maybe alt country or something like that. So then when uh, the uh, musician buys the directory, they can look at it. And it's kind of a thing, you can, it's color-coded, so you can just kind of skim through and say, okay, now I'm a, in an alt country band, let's just skim through and look for my color here. And then, so if we're going to Cleveland or Fairbanks, Alaska, wherever it is, what, which uh, venues could feature our style of music? So that's, I think that's one thing that has always ensured my survival because a lot of competitors have come up through the years, but they've never taken the time to to sort anything by genre. It's just kind of, here it is, we're gonna dump it all on one, on one uh, massive page here and let you sort it out. So I've done the sorting out for the people before they get to the book. And I think people appreciate that.
0: Oh, I mean, I know that I, I certainly appreciate it as a booking agent. I would use the like Polestar and Musicians Atlas and, and uh billboard and go through and run into that all genres category so many times and then call up and it's, and it's a uh, jazz place and i'm trying to book bluegrass or it's a hip-hop room and i'm trying to book folk or or acoustic music so i totally appreciated that level of detail but the other thing that i think you also did was to divide north america into multiple regions for the indie venue bible correct on that
1: it it was because it it turned out to be a massive directory again I think with all my directories, if I'd known what I was getting into, I would have never, ever started it. But we, the original directory was 30,000. Uh, it was venues, festivals, colleges, and concert series. And, and originally it had booking agents in it as well. So it would have been like 2,000 pages or something, whatever whatever it was. And it just didn't make any sense that someone just wanted to tour around uh, Cape Cod or something to, to get this massive directory. So what we did, we just split it up into six. Regions uh, Seven actually had one for Canada as well. And so then somebody could say, okay, um, I just want one for the Northeast. Uh, And then we had a package that everyone, if they were doing a cross-country tour, they could get all seven regions and it was for a really great discount.
0: That makes a lot of sense because you have so many regional artists that just stay in their region and they don't need to have the the information for Boston if they're in Seattle and exactly. no intention of going to Boston. And then when they do have an intention to go to Boston, then they can buy the, the Northeast regional directory and not have to deal with the Midwest. Made a lot of sense to me. And most booking agents that I know are working within a regional concept so that they might actually have artists who they're just focused on one particular region, that they are the the agent for that particular region as opposed to booking the whole country or the whole world. What are some of the ways that you suggest to artists to actually use the indie venue Bible as they're planning their tours?
1: I think one of its best advantages is that we have a lot of places that are between destinations. So if you're in New York or wherever, New Mexico, you know, you're gonna to go to the main cities, Albuquerque. Um, Santa
0: Fe, Taos. But, so we'll have
1: places that are in between. So you don't have to drive 300 miles. You say, hey, there's a hundred miles, there's this other place, features our style of music. We can try and book a gig there. That's where especially re- relevant when you're in some place like Canada. You know, I live in Canada. So if you're doing a cross Canadian tour, it's a lot of downtime. It's a lot of... Uh, a lot of boards. driving.
0: A lot of, yeah, drive. a lot
1: of driving. So when you're in areas like that, California be the same kind of thing, Northern California, you can hit a lot of places along the way. So uh, it, it just makes it a lot more practical, a lot less uh, tedious, like you're doing these crazy long drives because you just want to go to main city to main city. But there's a lot of places along the way. And I can, I can tell you just from... This researching these places. A lot of these places are amazing. A lot of these uh, off the beaten path places just have a, a, are amazing clubs, and uh, have quite a following. Like a lot of even really popular musicians know about them. They just for whatever reason they just uh, turn into these real gems. So that's the main advantage. Because as you would know, I mean, you've you've been you've been dealing with this for years now too. Is everybody wants an app? Bring bring out an app now that takes care of everything, right? Like take care of all your booking or or list all the venues, but they never go into details. Like again, if you're traveling and maybe North Carolina and, you know, a festival in North Carolina or a concert series, something that, that you could be part of your, your playing in that area. And that's just something you can't do mechanically with an app. You have to go in there. You have to roll your sleeves up. You have to do the research, present it to people. So the kind of quick fix a lot of people like that, but for the for people that want a lot of depth to whatever they're touring or or looking for resources or whatever, it ha- it still has to be something that was curated by a human being.
0: Well, one of the ways that I am often suggesting to artists to use directories is to also think about their touring, their preferences, what kind of. Venues? Do they normally play? Maybe take their mailing list and try to set up some house concerts in between some of the venues that are actually listed in the various directories and use the directories to either find anchor dates. And then fill in around them with some of the other things that maybe would never be listed, you know, like the the libraries or a museum concert series or an elementary school or the high schools or something like that. And so that's one way using the directory to land the anchor date and fill in around it or... Use your anchor dates or a house concert or these other types of niche venues, and then use the directory to surround those so that you can actually land a regular type of a gig or mainstream gig that then reaches out to the local media and the local audience.
1: Yeah, I just realized we're we're in your wheelhouse right now. Like you're, I could just only sit and listen to you. Oh, I know, is, but this <laughs> is your world. That's not
0: the point of this.
1: Yeah. No, but, but no, pick your spot. and There's so much you can do to fill in the, the spaces there that play your gig. And then you hop in the van and you take off to the next city. There's so much you can do and coordinating it with airplay and, and interviews on the local station. And,
0: having the, the Indie venue Bible and the Indie Bible, because now you've got your gigs, your marketing, and now with Indie Spotify, you have the streaming service that you can right. coordinate as well. So Talk a little bit about what prompted that venture to become a a new reality in the Indie Bible.
1: That uh, touches back on what I first mentioned about just staying relevant. That's the incentive. And for the last couple of years, people would periodically ask, why don't you have Spotify playlists listed in the Indie Bible? So there's a couple of directories I I purchased online and it kind of took a look. It would have like the, the playlist name and one or two genres and then a Facebook page like their personal Facebook page of some person I don't know anything about them, and most of the time it was outdated. And then they would have like actual Spotify curators, so they'd have you know Fred at Spotify.com and then some other Facebook page or something. And I realized that the thing that makes playlist curators different, the Spotify playlist curators, they're not like bloggers or review websites or anything. They don't have like a website. So this is what I do. I'm a I'm a playlist curator. There are a few, but they're just people that are just creating a playlist. A lot of them make it impossible. You can't find them. Some of them, they kind of give you little teaser clues. But 90% of the time, it's just pure research. You're assuming that they're open to new music, but you don't really know half the time. So I'm not going to get into this. This is nuts. So I waited about two years, and then just the technology, the industry just moving there like it is there. That's where it is now. And I said, I'm going to have to create this thing. I'm going to be standing in the dust, like as as uh, the business passes me by. So I got this. That's where I found this new researcher, and the two of us just again just rolled up our sleeves, and it was highly rewarding. You know, when you find that information, met a lot of nice people along the way. But it's really frustrating when there are so so great playlists that obviously do play independent music, and there's just nothing. They don't have a an image on their their playlist page, their username, something like Joe One Two Three, stand me by or something. You'll read different articles about you know how to track down those. Well, sometimes they use the same kind of uh, username on their their social media. Try try a few different tricks. Uh, do a little research. Find out if that's Joe One Two Three, stand me by. Is is there a Twitter and like that? Is there an Instagram? Is there LinkedIn or something? So it's just all. Oh, pure research and then get as much contact information as these people as you can. A lot of times what you're doing is you're, they have an image there. You learn that even what you think is the most bizarro name in in the world, like they can only be one of them, (laughs) there's actually 10 of them. And so you're looking at a LinkedIn page or Instagram or something and you're trying to, you've got this little image to work with on their Spotify page and squinting. And is that the same image as, as this person here? Oh my goodness. So I just can't take the chance. I don't think it might be, but it might not be. Other times, yeah, it's the same person. And then sometimes it just I mean, these amazing playlists and you just can't find the contact information for them.
0: So that must be both useful for artists who are trying to do that very same thing in order to submit their music, but it also, I could understand why it must be incredibly frustrating for artists who are not going to spend that kind of intense deep dive into the research to finding the person who they can submit their music to so having a directory where you've filtered out the unknown factors is yeah. going to be an amazing thing and i'm imagining that over the course of time now with pandora and spotify and you know all the other possible streaming resources is going to be the amazon streaming and the apple streaming and and they're all changing their platforms you're going to probably have a lot of work to do for the rest of your life
1: (laughs) yeah i i try not to think about that (laughs) everybody has their moment this is spotify's moment right all it takes is one upgrade that people hate and then someone else is right at the back door and they come in Uh, a good example is when again when going back 10 or 15 years i forget how long it was when we started the venue directory, that's when MySpace was still ruling. It was untouchable at that point. And it was so great. The layout was amazing for somebody like me because what I could do is I could go to an artist's website and they'd have all their gigs right on page one, all their gigs coming up. So I would know that, say, they had 10 places listed. I would know that these 10 places are still active venues because this guy is going to them or this, this woman is going to them. So it was great for me and uh, it really helped with the research. Downside is when, when it starts to disappear and some other, in this case, Facebook is coming back, you've got this hundreds of pages of these MySpace links to these different venues that you, the, the venues used to have their MySpace links as well. So they would also have, which is even more relevant, they'd have, you know, so-and-so coming next week and then, and then September 5th, uh, so-and-so is coming. So then I would know, oh, this, this venue is still active. With Spotify, this is their moment the moment that they take a a turn for the worst and someone else comes up, all that work goes down the toilet. So I'm just taking it all in stride right now. I checked some of the other ones. There's also a a streaming company called Deezer. It's kind of like Spotify's indirect competition. They've been around a long time. They really haven't got a lot of traction, but they're kind of like, that's that's their main thing. And you can see Apple, Apple's going full streaming. So it's just a matter of the, the battle of the marketing, right? Yeah, It's just uh, how long can Spotify hang in there, how, or how long can they not screw it up? Right. And, uh, of course, the competition's going to look to say, well, what, what, what can we do to, to get an advantage over Spotify? So it's going to improve it for artists. Uh, I was disappointed to hear the other day that Spotify did have one uh, website you could go to and you could um, submit a song that their creators would listen to. So you'd submit one song, create an account, submit a song, and then they kind of find a home for it. And for some reason, they got rid of that. That just tells me that they're like totally in it for the money. Someone It's like having a radio station and Clear Channel, you know, comes in and buys it. So okay, we're getting rid of all, all this junky stuff you play Sunday afternoons, you know, or your independent artist show because uh, we can't sell advertising for it. We, we want to get our big advertisers. So I think somebody Spotify said, yes, yeah, these people are wasting our time. Let's get rid of this. It makes it even more difficult for artists to kind of connect now. So they they really do need to contact the curators of these independent playlists in order to get AirPlay now.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and I'm sure that you have, even in the indie Bible, things like iHeartRadio and, and all those other kinds of services that are out there that may or may not be accepting indie artist information and recordings? Yeah,
1: well, some of the iHeart stations do. It's it's often a very generic. I don't know if it goes into one big pool, how that works. But we always make a point of with larger stations to make sure that there is a willingness to play independent music. What it is most of the time is it'll be like a clear channel station and they'll have a Sunday night show for independent artists or often a local show so at least some local artists can get played or, or bands that are touring through that particular city and i tell people it's the same with the labels you know they'll say you don't have uh, universal listed i say well it's, it's not realistic it's just like i don't have k-rock listed if you do get airplay, it's going to be uh, four in the morning. Spend your energies elsewhere.
0: What then prompted you to take the booking agent directory out of the Indie Venue Bible and just create a whole separate directory of uh, booking agent?
1: I always had some mysterious connection with booking agents. I just thought they were neat. You know, it's kind of a neat, Thank you. <laughs> neat, neat way to make a living. And especially a lot of them, it's fine. It's really in the metal community. A lot of them are just passionate. They know they're not going to make any money. They just want to get good bands to their city. So they're, you know, they're they're reaching out for bands. And for the uh, indie venue bible, I think I just wanted to make it international. And so I took what I had for the North America out of the, the venue directory, and then we just searched around the world again. And again, it was very difficult in its own way because it's not like they're they're falling from trees. All these uh, yeah. booking agents—they're very hard to find. So we did a lot of research and came together with a really nice product. And-
0: right. So uh, in terms of the booking agent directory, when I was an agent, I wasn't a major agency. So did you find a lot of independent type of agents that are working perhaps with maybe one to five artists as opposed to the larger agencies that have a genre focus of, say, blues or jazz and and have 10, 15, 20 artists on a roster or even more like Columbia Artists Music Management when you have 900 artists on a roster and they're working on behalf of all of those artists but how much attention can one get if they're one of 900 as opposed to being one of five
1: well yeah it's the same deal as with all our directories right from day one of the indie bible it's like there's no sense in listing a place if it doesn't accept unsolicited material
0: that's great for
1: so for all of our directories, including the booking agent directory if it's one of the larger agencies and they say no unsolicited material why list them so i don't bother and sometimes smaller places uh Will not accept it either. So we have a whole mix from large, still large stables, uh, to small ones, very small stables. But the the one common factor they have, as far as we can determine, is that they're all welcome to listening to new music. Yeah, I can't guarantee what kind of um, attention you're going to get if they if they do take you on, but at least they're open to listening to people and accepting music.
0: Well, that's great because I know even myself being very small, only having five artists on my roster, I was willing to listen, but it's very rare that I would take on somebody new unless there was something incredibly exceptional or it fit within what else I was doing. For most booking agents, it's a matter of time. You only have so much time to make so many calls and you want to be working with the artists that actually have some kind of market value so you know that your time is not wasted on somebody that doesn't have any possibility of getting into the likelihood of venues that you are building relationships with.
1: Yeah, a lot of people make that clear too, that right in the description is that They're not really open to new artists, but if you really blow their mind kind of thing that they're willing to take you on. So it's kind of upfront that's been said. And I appreciate when they, when they do say that that's kind of what we're dealing with, with everything, all of our directories, really there's a saturation point and you just want to be, give yourself a chance as an artist. If I don't try, I'm not going to get it. So there's a lot, there's always going to be a lot of competition. doesn't matter what you're doing, but we're just giving them an opportunity to see at least I'm, I'm, like sending in your resume. At least I'm sending in my resume here. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of applications, but I'm giving myself a chance. And then it's just the math. If you put yourself out there in a lot of places, mathematically things are going to happen.
0: I know in one of the directories, maybe it was the Indie Bible, you had articles included in at the end. Is that still happening?
1: So All of our directories have a companion guide. Like It's no extra cost. I just realized over the years because of the, the millions of questions I got from people that in, in, when I used to go to conferences, and I'd be so afraid that people are gonna ask me questions that are just gonna like be way beyond me. And people ask the most basic questions, you know, and I realize a lot of people are just starting out, they're really anxious. And so I've always with 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 each directory, there's a companion guide to just go through the whole spectrum of like I have a lot of your articles with the uh, the venue directory. Like that, you know, this is here's some definitions. This is what a booking agent is, here's here's what you can expect, here's what a promoter does. And then something that came into being with our latest directory, the Spotify Bible, is as I was going through, because it's so difficult, like, yeah, sure, artists are getting discovered and their music is out there, but it just it just feels mechanical. So I thought what I'll do is I'll contact a lot of these curators that I have the email address for and just say, can you just send me a little you know, tip, just a little, some little words of wisdom as you as a curator, what you're looking for, what you don't wanna see, uh, any advice you have for people. And so the response was pretty good. Great. So what I've done is uh, I have a like a Spotify guide with all sorts of articles. But now through both uh, the the Spotify Bible and the guide, there's all these tips. So you go like a few pages and there'll be a tip, a few more pages and another tip from these curators. It's just something as somebody's going through, it's going to hopefully sink in. Like maybe it's not a good idea to e-blast these curators that's not how they want to get in touch or maybe i should present myself this way because this is what they continually are asking for and then then there's some stuff from spotify itself on how to set up different parts of your account but hopefully done in a gentle way that it just gradually sinks into the person's psyche that they're just not blasted right at the get-go with all this spotify stuff because it can be very frightening so uh yeah to answer your question all our directories still have these helpful guides with them
0: Well, that's fantastic. I mean, I know that whole tip piece of the puzzle is something that I felt really excited about doing when when I was writing my book. I felt like it shouldn't just be my voice. It should be all this multitude of people who have this experience in whatever field they're in that makes it so much more intriguing and interesting for the artist to dive in and absorb the information.
1: It makes it very authentic, too especially when you're getting from the source. Like with the Indie Bible, I would get articles written by radio hosts and bloggers. And so these these are the people. So it's like you're having a one-on-one. They're saying, this is what I want you to do. This is what I don't want. And then it's up to the person whether they follow that.
0: The reason why having these little, little snippets and having your tips that pepper the pages, hopefully they'll at least look at the tip. The tips are much easier to absorb. quicker to read at a glance. You can do what you can do there and hope that people are taking advantage of all the amazing resources that you've been able to provide for them. With all of the work that you put into separating out the genres and specifying for artists how to dig down and isolate who they are specifically interested in getting in touch with or where they specifically will be most appropriate that if artists do that that they should really only be sending to those people and that they really should even dig down even more to be able to say pick five of their top and Mm -hmm. really work those five that you could always add one the next week, but it makes more sense to delve into and research really small numbers. So you'll have more of a success rate. I always wanted my success rate to be send out a promo kit, get a gig, one for one, you know, as opposed to doing these mass mailings, which I just I I never did that except to the fans saying, here's where they're going to be. Just having this as a resource or all of these things as resources really, I'm sure, makes many, many, many thousands of artists' lives so much richer because they know that there's a source that they can actually turn to and actually make use of. You must have thousands of people that have been involved with Indie Bible Everything, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't travel much anymore. I don't travel at all, actually. And it used to be so wonderful. I'd set up a booth and all these people would come up to me just thanking me. And all across North America, it was amazing. didn't matter where I was. There was actually a guy who was at a, uh, was at a conference in Los Angeles. And this guy had a clipboard. And what he'd done, this is back in the day when the Indie Bible was a physical book. And we just put the articles in the back part of it. He had severed the articles and he walked around with these articles, with his clipboard, with these articles. That's how much he valued them. Like he didn't know I was going to be there. I just happened to see this guy need he any Bible clipboard of articles. And uh, it used to be so heartwarming. I mean, people were enthusiastic and, uh, you know, thank you very much. But I don't get that as much anymore because I just, I don't get out anymore. And over the years, it's been wonderful. But yeah, I really miss it
0: but still are influencing and providing many thousands of artists with valuable tools that even though they're not telling you directly, they are using it because you know that more and more people are buying them.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Especially with the Spotify directory, that anybody that's tried it, I know they know exactly how much work went into it, because you can't just go to Google and type in some genre like hip-hop, Spotify playlist and all this wonderful information is going to come up. So I think this is a real turning point for me because people will have, a, a, I think, just a deeper respect for how much right. uh, actually goes into research.
0: As any distributor or manufacturer of CDs, you know, everybody has to change to the next new technology and uh, figure out ways of making it all work. So the fact that you have the skills and the talent to research this stuff, you know what to look for, you know right. how people are interested in consuming it, so that you're able to make that leap, which is fantastic. For all of the artists over the course of time that, that you've been doing this, You know, I can only say thank you for putting these things oh. together because I know after spending two years researching and doing my book that it takes a lot of energy to do all of that and the amazing aspect of knowing that there is no magic place to go where it all lives. Exactly, you know, yeah. In, in a concise, consumable, logical manner, and there is no place to do it. So so when you take that time to put it all together, knowing from being a musician, from knowing the points of interest that musicians gravitate towards, you can see artists going, wow, this guy knows me. He understands what I need. Yeah. I love it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's the intent is, is to always make sure I have that focus, but I really appreciate you saying that. Uh, it's nice to hear that.
0: So many artists that that I've dealt with say, well, I'm using this or I'm using that. And what do you think about that? And and trying to give them tips on how to make the most of it, how to maximize their relationship to a particular directory so that they can create a valuable tour, that they could create a, an efficient tour going from place to place and not winding their way from Boston and then end up in Philadelphia and then end up in Ohio, that right. there's a lot of places in between. And so having these directories where you've done that kind of nitty gritty place to place in between spots research really is going to make a difference in artists bottom line quite frankly yeah
1: Yeah, what we do with the venue directory too is with that idea in mind is is for every new state heading we put a map of the state so somebody can look at it and say we're we're playing in San Francisco like what else is around here right right and they can check throughout that that particular state and find places to play
0: well, this is great. I mean, I'm, I'm very excited about it. And I'm very excited that the new directories are going to be out there. And so I'm going to let people know on the show notes to this podcast episode, how to go and get any and all of the directories so that they'll be able to have a direct link from the getgreatgigs.com website. So David Wimble, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Jerry. It's great yeah. to talk to you again.
0: Really appreciate it. And please do go to the Indie Bible to check out all the directories and we'll have a link in the show notes so that you'll be able to go directly there. Have a great rest of the day, David. You too. Now the get great gigs podcast is all about helping you book more gigs for more money and create a profitable touring career. So please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. You'll find podcast current platforms on the getgreatgigs.com website. There you may leave your comments and please share this episode with others who might benefit from this information. Visit getgreatgigs.com backslash 002 for show notes and downloads to this episode. And let me know how these touring strategies begin to make a difference for you. I can't wait to hear about your success. Don't forget, subscribe and join me next week when we'll be talking about booking conferences and conference strategies to maximize your booking conference experience. And now, thanks to Dan Crary for providing the Get Great Gigs theme music, Thunderation and for lending his voice to open and close the podcast. Check out his music at dancrary.com. Until next week, thanks for listening. I appreciate you subscribing and being a part of the Get Great Gigs community of touring artists. Your work really enriches our lives.
1: Thanks for listening to the Get Great Gigs podcast. Visit us at getgreatgigs.com.